Hey everyone, welcome to this week's conversation with Dr. Stephen Ned about the body and how to fix, protect, or maintain it using outside-the-box alternative solutions. If you're a big fan of the pharmaceutical or surgical approach, you are so in the wrong place because on this podcast, we're not going to be pushing the conventional medicine methods or way of thinking about health. If you're looking for a way to live longer and healthier, join me, Ron Ned, and my brother, Dr. Stephen Ned, for this week's body chat about the shoulder girdle and its problems. Me? I'm a retired Twin Cities chiropractor currently helping people buy and sell homes in the Tampa Bay and Los Angeles areas. My brother has a thriving chiropractic practice in the Clearwater area of Tampa Bay, Florida. In this podcast, we're going to chat about all sorts of topics related to health, nutrition, exercise, just about everything having to do with the body. You're invited to listen in to our body chat, but don't forget that neither of us is giving you health advice, so don't rush off to do something without either checking with your doctor first or seeing Dr. Steve Annette as a patient at his office. Good evening, Steve. Good evening, Ron. Now, we're, we're traveling down the body. We did the neck last week. This week, we're going to get into the shoulder girdle. And we've talked about the shoulder before, but we were focused mostly on the, you know, the shoulder joint itself. So now we're going to talk about the entire structure, which is the shoulder girdle. So what are the parts of the shoulder girdle and what are their functions within it? Well, the shoulder girdle, also known as the pectoral girdle, is composed of three bones and four joints. The three bones are the arm bone, which is called the humerus, the shoulder blade, which is also known as the scapula, and the collarbone, which is also known as the clavicle. The four joints are where these bones, you know, meet themselves and other bones and structures in the area. And they are the glenohumeral joint, which is the main shoulder joint where the arm bone, again, the humerus, meets the shoulder blade, again, the scapula, and forms a ball and socket joint. Second one is the acromioclavicular joint, also known as the AC joint. And this is where the clavicle, again, the collarbone, meets the scapula and its area called the acromion process. And this is located at the upper top part of the shoulder. Uh, the next one is the sternoclavicular joint, which is where the clavicle meets the sternum, which is also known as the breastbone. And this is close to the center line at the bottom front part of the neck. And then finally, the scapulothoracic joint, which is really the most interesting of the bunch because it's not a true anatomical joint. Uh, an anatomical joint is technically a joint composed of two opposing bones. But this one instead is composed of the scapula bone being held in place against the rib wall of the middle and upper back by a number of muscles and secondarily with a little help from the clavicle in the front. Now, these bones and joints are designed to allow all of the movements of the shoulder to occur. And the main shoulder joint happens to be the most mobile joint in the body. And it has eight different ranges of motion. But uh, it's also the most unstable. And I know that all too well since I dislocated my left one when I was just 14 years old. And then I dislocated it over 30 times after that until I had a surgery that helped for a little while. And then that failed. And then I had to have two more arthroscopic surgeries. And unfortunately, they also failed. All right. So it's a lot more of a complex joint than many of the other ones around. Or, 
you know, not just a complex joint, but a complex structure because it's got all these different parts and different joints involved. Mm-hmm. Now, why is there a need for the different other parts besides just the arm and the shoulder socket? Well, you know, if we look at the clavicle, um, you know, it's there to function as a strut to support the shoulder. And a strut is defined as a bar forming part of a framework and designed to resist compression. So the clavicle is a bone that is shaped like a bar and grows, you know, across the top of the chest from the shoulder to the top and side of the breastbone. And it basically acts to transmit forces from the upper limb to the central skeleton, which is also known as the axial skeleton. Uh, If we look at the scapulothoracic joint, that's also a connection between the shoulder girdle and the axial skeleton. But in this case, it's the scapula and the rib cage separated not by cartilage, but instead by muscles. And this is a highly mobile joint too. It's not nearly as mobile as the ball and socket glenohumeral joint, but it also allows many different movements of the shoulder girdle itself, in particular, the scapula moving up and down, forward and backwards and side to side. Okay. So now we're looking at a complex structure, which isn't just joints and bones, but you've got muscles and ligaments and tendons and other tissue there that's involved. So why is it so important that there's balance for the shoulder girdle? Well, first of all, you know, as far as complexity, there's actually 23 muscles that work together in the shoulder girdle to allow smooth and balanced motion. You know, it's kind of like an orchestra in which all the instruments, you know, need to be properly tuned and in harmony. And if any are out of tune or they don't play at the same rate or cadence, then it sounds terrible, you know, unprofessional. Mm -hmm. And so the same goes for the shoulder girdle. You know, it again includes the most mobile joint in the body. And with all these motions, balance and proper strength from front to back and side to side is very important. Otherwise, abnormal motion and even lack of motion can occur. Plus, you increase the susceptibility of injury when stressing the joint with either weight or extreme ranges of motion. Okay. So it's important. And this is one of the things when you do kinesiology, which is one of the topics we talked about before is making sure that you have a balance of the muscle strength so that you don't have stronger muscles on the front than in the back or from one side to the other on one side of the scapula, as opposed to the other side of the scapula, or even one side of the body to the other side of the body. And in the grit program that we do, the fitness program we do, the trainer CJ has set up the exercise so that we're not just doing what most people do, which is building up the front of the body from you know the exercise, but also from sitting over a desk all the time. He puts a lot of focus on building up the upper back in back to balance that out. Okay, so now we understand a little bit more about the shoulder, the shoulder girdle. What are the most common problems that will occur with it? Well, you know, I've already mentioned dislocation. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the shoulder joint is, again, the most often dislocated major joint of the body since it's also the most unstable joint in the body. And this is typically caused by a strong force that separates the shoulder joint's ball, which is at the end of the arm bone, uh, away from the joint socket, which is the curved part of the scapula that the, the ball sits in. A common injury that can cause a dislocation is falling down and landing on an outstretched arm and hand. And that's actually how I originally dislocated my shoulder from being tackled while playing football. Uh, Another similar condition is called a separation. Uh, 
And this involves the AC joint, which becomes separated when the ligaments that are attached to the collarbone are torn or partially torn uh, away from the shoulder blade. And this usually results from a strong blow to the shoulder or a fall. Next up is bursitis, uh, which is where one or several of the fluid-filled sacs called bursa, which surround the shoulder as well as other major joints in the body, including the hips, uh, become inflamed from various causes, including friction from inflamed tendons. There's also what's called impingement syndrome, and this can be due to excessive squeezing or rubbing of the rotator cuff and shoulder blade. Now, the rotator cuff is four muscles that attach to the shoulder blade and arm, and three of them produce rotation, while the fourth one lifts the arm upward and outward. The pain can come from several sources, including an inflamed bursa over the rotator cuff, inflammation of the rotator cuff tendons, calcium deposits in the tendons due to wear and tear, and in my case, a bone spur growing on the underside of the collarbone at the AC joint. And I had this removed during my second arthroscopic uh, shoulder surgery, and this likely prevented a rotator cuff tear since one of the tendons is located just below that joint. Mm -hmm. You know, tendonitis is another common condition of the shoulder. And in fact, tendonitis of the rotator cuff muscle called the supraspinatus is considered to be the most common cause of shoulder pain. A similar condition is called tendinosis, and this is where the tendons of the rotator cuff muscles and or the biceps not only become inflamed, but also worn out. And this is often due to impingement syndrome, you know, which we just went over. Now, there's also a rotator cuff tear, which involves one or more rotator cuff tendons becoming inflamed and partially or fully torn from overuse, aging, uh, a fall on an outstretched hand, or a collision. Another relatively common condition of the shoulder girdle is a frozen shoulder, also known as adhesive capsulitis. And this is typically caused by an injury that leads to lack of use due to pain. And this can result in inflammation and scar tissue growing between the joint surfaces, which further limits motion. Uh, it can also result from diabetes. So when anybody comes in with a frozen shoulder, I always ask them that question, do you happen to be diabetic? A much rarer condition is winging of the scapula, which is where the shoulder blade protrudes away from the back in an abnormal position. It looks like you have a wing. And this can be due to a muscle injury or nerve damage in that area. And finally, another serious condition is obviously a fracture. And the collarbone is notorious for fracturing due to an impact injury. And to a lesser extent, the arm bone near, near the shoulder. All right. So that's quite a few different possible conditions, but that would make sense because it's such a complicated and complex structure. What are the most common medical solutions that are utilized for these different problems that you mentioned? All right. Well, starting off with dislocations, uh, you know, I was actually fortunate enough to be able to put my arm back in the socket every time I dislocated it. And there's quite a few maneuvers to accomplish this. And I did one of the most difficult because I didn't know any better. And YouTube was not around back then. <laughs> so, you know, the typical medical approach depends on the severity of the dislocation. And if it's a dislocation without a fracture, then it can be done with or without anesthesia. However, if there is a fracture, then extra care must be taken to avoid doing damage to surrounding tissues, in particular arteries. 
So this may require manipulation under anesthesia in an ER setting. Uh, most shoulder separations do not require surgery and typically heal pretty quickly with people regaining uh, full shoulder function within a few weeks. So for mild to moderate separations, uh, conservative medical treatment includes rest, ice, pain relievers, and the use of a sling. Uh, plus, sometimes the collarbone is taped and braced since it can stick upward and look rather unsightly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for a severe separation where multiple ligaments have been fully torn, then surgery may be required. Uh, for shoulder bursitis, typical medical handlings include modifying your activity to prevent irritation, wearing a splint to immobilize the shoulder, ice to reduce inflammation, uh, anti-inflammatory medications, steroid injections, aspirating the bursa, which is where fluid is removed by using a syringe needle, and possibly antibiotics if the bursa has been found to be infected. Now, shoulder impingement syndrome includes many of the same medical therapies I just listed, plus physical therapy, which focuses not only on reducing pain and inflammation, but also improving range of motion and strengthening and balancing the muscles of the shoulder and shoulder girdle. Surgery you know, may also be required if physical therapy and other less invasive approaches are unsuccessful, especially if there is a you know, some joint degeneration or a nasty bone spur that's causing issues. Tendinitis is typically treated with anti-inflammatory medications, ice, ultrasound, rest, and avoiding activities that aggravate it, and when better, uh, tailored home exercise therapies. Tendinosis is treated similarly, uh, similarly to tendinitis as well as impingement syndrome since it's often caused by shoulder impingement, which means that you know, surgery may be needed if non-invasive therapies are ineffective and x-rays and or MRIs show an obvious causative problem like a sharp bone spur. Now, rotator cuff tears are normally treated conservatively depending on the severity of the tear, but if there is a complete tear, which is also called a full thickness tear in any of the rotator cuff muscles and or the tendons, then surgery may be required after all. Uh, Frozen shoulder is treated with physical therapy especially passive range of motion exercises where the therapist moves the arm for the individual, along with active range of motion exercises where you do the exercises yourself uh, to help restore normal motion. Cortisone injections into the joint capsule are also commonly done to decrease pain and improve shoulder mobility. And in some cases, surgery may be required to loosen the joint capsule. Now, winging of the scapula treatments are based on what's causing the condition, especially which nerve and muscle is causing it. So depending on the nerve and you know whether there was mild or severe trauma involved, treatment could range from just leaving it alone and allowing it to heal on its own, which you know could take a few months, to light physical therapy or wearing a brace for several months, to a combination of physical therapy and massage therapy, along with various medications and braces to all the way, you know, various forms of surgery if it's real severe. And then finally, fractures, depending on the severity and location, may involve uh, the wearing of a brace or a cast and also may require surgery to permanently stabilize the involved bone or bones. All right, so those are the medical approaches. Now let's look at the alternative approaches. We'll leave out the lethal weapon Mel Gibson approach because that doesn't really fall in either of them. 
Um, but as far as alternative approaches to some of these shoulder girdle problems, what are the ones that you know of that are effective? Well, starting again with dislocations, yeah, I normally refer these out if someone comes in with a new one so that, you know, we're certain that there isn't also a fracture along with it. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's a recurrent dislocation, like what I used to have, then it would generally be okay to attempt to reset it using one of the many various procedures that I learned at my sports diplomate program. And for someone that recurrently dislocates their shoulder and they are coming in for prevention, then I would first check to see if their shoulder was in place because it can also subluxate, which is a minor misalignment that is less than a dislocation. And this can be adjusted with chiropractic adjustments. I would also do a full shoulder assessment, including checking all 23 of the muscles of the shoulder girdle to see if any of them were weak and needing strengthening with in-office handlings like chiropractic adjustments and cold laser, as well as at-home approaches, including posture correction and specific muscle strengthening exercises. Uh, if someone comes in with a shoulder separation, I'll typically tape it and recommend they wear a sling. I also normally refer them out for an orthopedic consultation to make sure that they don't require surgery. Uh, you know, as long as it's non-surgical, then they should just follow the non-surgical approaches I mentioned earlier. Plus cold laser therapy can help speed up healing and reduce pain and inflammation. Uh, supplements like Ligamend and Ligaplex 2 can help quicken ligament healing. And chiropractic adjustments to other structures that are in that area close to the AC joint can also be very helpful too. So that would be the, the regular shoulder joint and the neck and the first rib. Uh, you know, I see shoulder bursitis every so often and cold laser therapy is really outstanding for this along with chiropractic, natural anti-inflammatories like fish oil and curcumin, cold laser therapy and acupuncture and dry needling. Uh, if someone has impingement syndrome, I make sure that they have at least been x-rayed and also preferably MRI'd to see what's really going on. And, you know, as long as it's not surgical, then they can be helped with chiropractic, acupuncture and dry needling, uh, cold laser therapy, and posture correction exercises, including the use of the posture medic. Uh, tendonitis is handled by reducing inflammation with diet, supplements, cold laser therapy, identifying and strengthening any weak muscles, especially the rotator cuff and deltoids, and ex excellent uh, topical remedies like cryoderm spray. Uh, the same goes for tendinosis as long as it's not an issue requiring surgery. Mild rotator cuff tears have responded well to alternative treatments like cold laser therapy, chiropractic adjustments, acupuncture and dry needling, and nutrition for healing muscles and tendon, which includes easily absorbable protein sources and collagen powders and supplements. Frozen shoulder can be really challenging at first and can take a while to respond uh, depending on the severity of it. But I've helped patients with uh, frozen shoulder via chiropractic, acupuncture and dry needling, myofascial release therapy using the percussor instrument, and then teaching them how to do Codman's pendular exercises daily at home. Those are ones that I learned when I had my shoulder surgeries because my shoulder was pretty frozen up after that, after wearing a sling for a while. And so that was, you know, three sets of exercises where you do circles with a small weight, like holding a can of, you know, vegetables or something, and then walking your fingers up the wall, and then finally taking a broom or a golf club and swinging side to side to get all those motions back. 
You know, in addition, I've referred some of my patients over to Dr. Steve Lund in the office who can do a technique that effectively releases the shoulder capsule to restore normal range of motion. You know, I haven't had too many patients with winging of the scapula since it's pretty rare, but you know, as long as it's not due to a severe trauma that causes nerve damage severe enough to require surgery, uh, the best alternative approaches include chiropractic adjustments to relieve pressure from the involved nerve or nerves, testing and strengthening any weak muscles that are responsible for the condition, uh, and then using cold laser to help uh, strengthen those, stimulating reflex points in the area to help the muscles function better, and then home exercises, uh, which also include posture correction exercises. Uh, for fractures that don't require a cast or surgery, Cold laser therapy is really excellent in accelerating healing. And I've also had fractures heal very quickly with acupuncture and dry needling. And the supplement Bone CalMag, which contains excellent bone building nutrition that can also accelerate bone healing. Okay. So there's quite a few options people have rather than having to go through surgery. Although sometimes that is going to be the way you have to go like it was in your case. Now, both of us experience certain things having to do with the neck related to the shoulder. How does an imbalance or an issue in a shoulder girdle affect somebody's neck? Well, you know, since many of the muscles that attach to the shoulder girdle also happen to attach to the neck, they can cause all kinds of issues when they are imbalanced or weak or tight. So this could include neck pain, neck tightness, abnormal posture of the neck and head, and even tension headaches since some of the muscles go all the way to the base of the skull. All right. So another reason to try and keep the shoulder girdle in good shape and balanced. Now, what are some good preventative steps that people can take to keep the shoulder girdle functioning correctly and to protect it against some of the issues that we discussed? Well, first of all, you should always practice good posture and ergonomics. Um, I can't stress this enough. And if you haven't already listened to our two previous podcasts on these topics, you definitely should. And they are episodes number five, computer slouch and text neck. And number 38, don't be a slouch. You can also find the posture series of videos that we did via our website at nedcairo.com and click on the video button at the top of the homepage and then scroll all the way down to the bottom of the videos page when you're on it, and you'll see the button that says view the full posture series. And I think we did like seven videos on that. It's also a good idea to get a full posture assessment like the one I do in my office, which includes digital posture pictures to determine what imbalances are present and what exercises you can do to improve them. Muscle testing or applied kinesiology testing to determine if any of the 23 shoulder muscles are weak and what can be done to strengthen them. And full spine chiropractic adjustments to balance the entire body, including specific tests checking all the joints of the shoulder girdle. Now, if you're a high performance athlete, whether amateur or pro, there are places that have high tech equipment to check for imbalances that could result in not only reduced performance, but also potential injuries. And I've actually seen this uh, for checking an individual's golf swing and a baseball pitcher's motion and release. So that's a really good idea if you're really serious about, you know, your craft, if you're a, a serious athlete. 
And, you know, since a lot of shoulder issues can occur not only from inactivity or improper movements and posture, also, especially not doing enough to stretch and release tight muscles. It's also a good idea to do regular stretching as well as getting soft tissue body work done like massage on a regular basis too. Great to know. All right. Is there anything else you'd like to say about this topic before we end? No, I think that's everything that's relevant and helpful for this topic this week. Okay, good. Well, next week, we're going to move down a little bit further and we're going to get into the rib cage and middle back, which is another area where you've got different structures that kind of work together and can also cause problems with each other. And we're going to talk about those next week. All right. Thanks, Steve. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us this week on the Body Chat Podcast. We both really appreciate your time and your attention. We want to provide you with interesting and informative episodes each week. And if you have a topic you'd like us to cover or any questions you'd like us to answer, send an email to us at info at bodychatpodcast.com. That's info at bodychatpodcast.com. To make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, subscribe to the Body Chat Podcast now on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. See you next week.